Welcome to Northgate Christian Fellowship's weekly message series. And now, here is Senior Pastor Ken Jensen. So good morning. Happy Father's Day to all of you dads. It's great to have all of you with us. And over in Vallejo campus, uh, we're glad to have you with us this morning uh, as we continue in this uh, 14-week series that we're going through this summer through the whole Gospel of John. Um, and even in 14 weeks, we're barely scratching the surface. But it, it's a great, great study because the Gospel of John is different than Matthew, Mark's, and Luke's. Because while in the other three Gospels, you have a lot of Jesus teaching to the large crowds, um, in, in, in John's gospel, you have these personal conversations that Jesus has with individuals. And it's one of them we're going to look at today. And uh, one of the things that we've told people from the very beginning is, it doesn't matter what your church background, what your Bible knowledge is, um, because we're all kind of starting on square one. And maybe you were raised in church, kind of like I was, and you think you know it all, um, and you don't, trust me on that. But... Um, I'm going to encourage you to kind of put whatever preconceived ideas or whatever uh, thoughts you have or understanding you have, and we're going to look freshly at the life of Jesus. Maybe you haven't been in church in a long, long time. Maybe you just kind of walked away from church, walked away from God for a while because of some reason in the past, but but you're re-engaging, and we encourage you uh, to jump on with us here. And maybe you're here, you have no Bible knowledge, no Bible background, no church background at all. We're all on the same page, because what we're doing through this whole series is whatever preconceived ideas, whatever thoughts, whatever things you think you know, just kind of put them off to the side, because we're just going to look at the life of Jesus in John's gospel. Because John tells us at the very, very beginning that the reason he is writing this gospel is to tell us about Jesus, because Jesus can to make God known, that no one has ever seen God, but God, the only Son, who is himself God and is in closest relationship with God, has come to make him known. So that's what John is writing about, and that's what we're studying together. And, um, and it's particularly important today that you kind of put whatever preconceived ideas that you have, because we're going to look at a passage that's pretty familiar to most people, and, um, and it's got some catchphrases and some words that you've probably heard before, and you kind of think you know what that means. Um, so whatever that might be, just kind of put it aside, because uh, what we want to do is take a fresh look with fresh eyes at this. So um, the passage, as I said, that we're going to look at today is one that's probably the most well-known most quoted, it's one sentence um, in the Bible, and if, and if you have no knowledge of the Bible, you probably know this sentence, and if you don't know this sentence, you at least, if you've watched a sporting event, seen somebody holding up a sign that said John 3.16, and you wondered, what is John 3.16? Well, this is what it is. It's a sentence in John's gospel, and we're going to put it up here. Because it's so familiar with us, I would like us all together to read it out loud, and, uh, and so you can join me, but you didn't have to memorize, because we put it up here for you. Would you read it out loud with me together? God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. Like I said, you probably heard that before. Have you ever wondered where that comes from? What's the context of all of that? Because that's really important. This sentence comes out of one of those conversations that Jesus had with a man named Nicodemus. And when you find out about Nicodemus and his background and and where he was coming from, why Jesus spoke these words to him were so important for Nicodemus and for us. So we're going to take it from John chapter 3. If you want to follow along, that's where I'm going to start, beginning in verse 1. 
Now, there was a Pharisee, a man named Nicodemus, who was a member of the Jewish ruling council. He came to Jesus at night and said, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher who has come from God. For no one could perform the signs you are doing if God was not with him. Jesus replied, very truly I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they are born again. How can someone be born when they are old? Nicodemus asked. Surely they cannot enter a second time into their mother's womb to be born. Jesus answered, very truly I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless they are born of water and the spirit. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but the spirit gives birth to spirit. You should not be surprised at my saying you must be born again. The wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear its sound, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it is going. So it is with everyone born of the spirit. How can this be? Nicodemus asked. You are Israel's teacher, said Jesus, and you do not understand these things? Very truly, I tell you, we speak of what we know and we testify of what we have seen, but still you people do not accept our testimony. I've spoken to you of earthly things and you do not believe. How will you believe if I speak of heavenly things? No one has ever gone into heaven except the one who came from heaven, the son of man. Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, so the son of man must be lifted up that everyone who believes may have eternal life in him. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Now, our New Testament was originally written in the Greek language. So what we have is a translation. And the thing with the ancient Greek language is they didn't have any punctuation. So there were no quotation marks. So in this conversation that Jesus is having with Nicodemus, um, particularly as it gets to the end, it's not really clear where the conversation ended and where John kind of picked it up and explained about the conversation. And some people think it ends just before the for God so loved the world part. And some people think, no, it goes on quite a bit further. I happen to be of the belief that these words of Jesus, God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, are the words of Jesus. Because Jesus was explaining something to Nicodemus that was mind-blowing. And you're going to understand that as we go through this. So if for those of you who would like to just kind of tune out for the next 20 minutes, what I'm going to do, if you're filling in the blanks on your outline, is I'm going to give you the outline for today. So you can fill that in, and then if you want to tune out for the next 20 minutes, you have my permission, okay? But it's very simple, because in this one sentence is the whole gospel message of God's grace in a nutshell, in one single sentence. And here's the, way, the outline to it. God loves, God gives. We believe, we live. It's really that simple. God loves, God gives. We believe, we live. That there are two parts to this whole thing. And it all begins with God. The very first thing that John tells us is God loves It all begins with him. It begins with his character and his nature. He's the one that takes the initiative. God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. He's the guy that's starting it. Now, I do a fair amount of premarital counseling and marriage counseling over the last number of years that I've been a pastor. And particularly in marriage counseling, where there's been... um, some damage to the relationship or, or things are, are kind of on edge or, or whatever, that something has happened in the relationship 
and we'll sit down and we'll talk about it and kind of get a handle on, okay, what's going on here and how can we fix it? And very often when it comes down to it, I'll be able to say to one of the couple, okay, here's what you did, here's what went wrong, here's what you can do to fix it. And you over here, this is what you did, this is how you, you know, participated in the whole thing, here's what went wrong, and here's what you need to do. And more often than not, I see them both look at each other, and it's almost like they're saying, okay, who's going to go first? <laughs> yeah, well, I will if you will. You know, and we always want the other person to go first. What John is telling us here is God went first. God took the initiative, and the initiative that he took was love because that is his character. God is love. You read this, and very often we read this sentence, and we think, we think it's saying God loved the world so much that he gave his one and only son. We think of so as in so much. Really, that's not the word. The word that's used there is the word for thus and so, or like so. So in other words, it's not God had all this love and he did something. It's like, no, this is how God loved the world. He gave his one and only son. He took his initiative. He gave his son. And he, t- he talks about this as one and only son. That is John's way of trying to describe who Jesus was, both his humanity and his divinity at the same time. It, it's how, 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 how can God be God and man at the same time? It can't be explained. The best thing I can do is to say his one and only son. And he uses that introduction when he talks about no one has ever seen God, but God, the one and only son who is in closest relationship with God and is himself God, has made him known. It's like, you know, I don't get that. You won't. What he's saying is that God took the initiative and it wasn't just sending somebody else, that God himself came, that he came and he loved us. And that means that it doesn't depend on us. It all depends on him. And that's really important for a guy like Nicodemus because we find out a little bit about him. John gives us a little bit of his background. We're told that Nicodemus was a Pharisee. A Pharisee, um, if you read through the Gospels, Jesus has a lot of run-ins with the Pharisees. And, and because of that, they've kind of been given this um, bad image. But really, the Pharisees were not that bad guys. They're actually, in a lot of ways, were good guys because they were completely devoted to following God. They were, they were so, so devoted, so intense about making sure that they followed the law of God that they would often, um, the law said this, they would kind of build it out a little bit further. So it would say, you know, um, remember Sabbath day, keep it holy. You shouldn't work on the Sabbath. Okay, well, then we got to define what's work and what's not work. And so they would have a whole list of what qualifies as work and what qualifies as not work because you don't want to take the chance of breaking the law. And so they had all of these rules and regulations that were added to the law, not because they liked making rules necessarily, but because they wanted to make sure that we were doing things as God wanted them to be done. They were so committed to this whole thing that they tried to live as best they could living up to God's law because they wanted to live in right relationship with God. So they, they, were, they were purists. They were separatists. They, they, were, they were kind of the reformers of their day. And they were consumed with the idea of the kingdom of God. And their belief was 
that the kingdom of God, that we have lost our relationship with God because of Israel's sin and God has abandoned us. But if we could just get back to God, if we could just do everything right, then God would love us once again and Israel would be restored in its glory. So they cared about themselves. They cared about their nation. And they were so consumed with this whole idea of of being right with God. Trying to earn his love back. That's what it meant for these guys as a Pharisee. He was also a member of the Jewish ruling council, the Sanhedrin, which was a select group of 70 people, 70 men. So this guy, he is, he is devoted, he is connected, he is powerful, he is educated. He has spent his whole life trying to earn back God's love. And Jesus says to him, that's not how it works. <laughs> it's not how it works. He says, very truly I tell you, No one can see the kingdom of God unless they are born again. In other words, you can't be good enough. You can't fix this mess that you call your life. It's not something that needs to be fixed. It's something that needs to start over again from scratch. That your goodness can't earn God's love and your badness can't lose it. Maybe you're here today and you're kind of wondering, how could God possibly love me? I I, I do my best. I try so hard, but I keep failing. I keep messing up. How could God possibly love me? Because he took the initiative. There's a saying that I had written in my Bible when I used to carry a real book Bible. Um, But I wrote it inside because I heard it one day and I just wrote it down. This is so good. There is nothing that you can do that will make God love you any more than he already does. And there is nothing you do that will make him love you any less. That's God's love. I heard it described fairly recently as it's the Mobius strip love. Anybody know what a Mobius strip is? You know what that is? Okay, I'm going to show you. Take a strip of paper and if you take it and make one twist in it, and then attach the ends together, you have what is called a Mobius strip. Now think about a Mobius strip is this. Once you've created one, you can't find the beginning and you can't find the end. You can't find what's the inside and what's the outside, because as you follow it along, the inside becomes the outside, and the outside becomes the inside. And it has no end, and it has no beginning, And you never can figure out where it stopped, where it began. Because that is a picture of God's love. That's how complete it is. And Jesus is saying, it is that love that you need. It's not about trying to earn it. Because most of us have this idea of love is something that you earn. Because that's most of our experience. You know, if you do this and that, then I'll like you. You know, if you do this and that, if you stop doing that, then I'll love you. I says, no, I love you just the way that you are. God loves. And the way that he loves is he gives. It starts with his love and it's expressed by his giving. Because love is more than an emotion and it's more than affection. It is an action. God so loved the world that he gave. He gave his one and only son. That in Christ, God was giving us himself. And his love is such that it never runs out. 
He just keeps giving and giving and giving. We have uh, kind of a tradition now for the last three or four years, our, our pastoral staff on the day before Thanksgiving, we have a miniature golf tournament. So we all pack up in the cars and we go up to Scandia. Then we have this tournament. And I hate to say it, but Jesse has won it every year up until now. But, but I have been right on his tail. In fact, we ended up in a tie this last time. It came down to a shootout and he still beat me. But here's what... I am, I'm going this last time. It happens every time. I am good at miniature golf. I am hitting par. I'm under par. I'm hitting a few hole-in-ones. I mean, I'm not, it looks like I'm you know, miniature golf king. Until we get to the second to last hole. The second to last hole is what I call the volcano. Okay? I don't know if you've seen that. It's just like a big inverted cone. And you got to get it just right. Enough. Now, some people call it the anthill. I call it a volcano because that's what it feels like to me. Because I can never get that. I am way under par. I am beating everybody till we get to this hole. And then I hit it and I hit it too far and it goes up and over and down the other side. So I go to the other side and I hit it. Now I hit it too short and it rolls back down on me. And I go back and forth, back and forth. And I just keep adding strokes, adding strokes and adding strokes. And it's like, I can't get this. (laughs) But it's such a picture of God's love. Because... I keep messing up. Like, I can go through life and I can feel like, man, I'm hitting par. God, I'm, I'm doing so good at this. You know, I, I aced that last one. I've been doing really, really, really good. And then I get to a volcano part. And I keep trying over and over and over again. And I keep failing and failing and failing. And it's just like God is saying, go ahead, take another shot. We won't count that one. Just take another shot. No, okay, we won't count that one. Just go ahead, take another shot. He just, he keeps coming with his love that's what his love does it gives and and god came in the person of jesus christ and he gave his whole life and ministry was giving 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 and then ultimately on the cross he gave his life fully showing us the full extent of his love and so Nicodemus comes with this whole lifetime of trying to earn God's love. And Jesus says to him, it doesn't work that way. It comes to you as a gift. And the term that he uses is born again. You must be born again. Now, again, that's a term that you've probably heard over and over and over again. And you kind of think you know what that means. And and maybe you do. But I think it is a perfect description of God's grace. Because if you think about it, think of your natural birth. You did nothing to earn that. That came to you as a gift. I would venture to bet no one in this room has their birth certificate framed and hanging on their wall with their awards and their diplomas and everything else. Why? Because you didn't do anything. Honestly, you did nothing. And I know it's Father's Day, but let's be honest. Moms did the heavy lifting on that one. But to you and to me, it came out. As a gift, I had nothing to say in it. I had nothing to do with it. I just got in. And Jesus takes that term and he says, that's the way it is with this spiritual birth. It's not something that you do. Somebody else took the initiative. Somebody else has done this. And so he says, in fact, he puts it this way. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but the spirit gives birth to spirit. In the same way that you were born and had nothing to do with it, so your spiritual birth comes and you have nothing to do with it. It's a gift. He says, so you shouldn't be surprised at my saying you must be born again. 
All of your best efforts are always going to fail. Your, your, your ability to try and fix things will never work. Now again, imagine what that must have sounded like to a guy who spent all of his life trying to earn God's love, trying to prove how dedicated he was, trying in every way, who on the outside looked like he had it all together, but I believe, just because he was like you and he's like me, that he knows deep inside he's not measuring up no matter how hard he tries. Imagine what a message that must have been to someone trying so hard, yet knowing inside they're not making it. That is the message of God's grace that he gives, he gives, he gives. God loves, God gives. But there is a part that we do play. Because like any gift, you got to receive it or it hasn't become yours. How do you do that? You believe. It's that simple. God loves, God gives, we believe. In other words, we trust what it is that God gave that it really is for us. He says, he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him, whoever believes in him. Now, if you look that up in the, in the in New Testament Greek, the word whoever, it means whoever, <laughs> anybody, anybody, whoever. You don't have to be born into a special family. You don't have to be a part of a special ethnicity. You don't have to be smart or, 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 or uh, morally superior or, or prettier or anything. It's anybody. It's a wide open gift. It is not a limited time offer. It is given freely. And all we need to do is trust that what he's giving us really is for us. And to help him understand this, Jesus pulls a story from Old Testament history, from Israel's history, that Nicodemus would know very, very well. But for some of us here, it's like, what in the world is he talking about? Because he goes on, he says, just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up, that everyone who believes may have eternal life in him. What? Snake? What's a snake? Well, what's with the snake? I don't, snake lifted up? What, what in the world is he talking about? He's referring to an instance back in Israel's history when they were moving from their captivity and, and slavery in Egypt and into the land that God had promised them. And they wandered for about 40 years. And through all those 40 years, they grumbled and complained and took times of rebellion against God and then came back to God and asked forgiveness. And he kept forgiving them, but they kept rebelling and back and forth. Finally, to a point where because of their rebellion and their rejection of God and his ways, there was an infestation of poisonous uh, serpents in the camp. And people were being bit and they couldn't do anything to heal them. You know, they couldn't fix it. They couldn't, they were just, people were dying and people were just, it was, you know, just looking out for snakes, not just snakes on a plane, but snakes in the whole campground. And, and, and so they realized, you know, that, that this is something we got to turn to God to. And so Moses goes to God and God says, and this is what you're going to do. Together, get some bronze together and out of it, fashion the shape of a serpent. And then put it up on a pole on the top of the hill so that everybody can see it. So that when they look at that, they will be healed. When they look at that. In other words, they are stuck in a place they can't do anything to fix for themselves. And and all of their best efforts is not going to keep them from dying. But I'm providing an answer that is so simple, even the youngest child can do it. 
Just put this snake up on a pole. There was nothing magical about that snake. Nothing special about that pole. It was simply that God in his mercy and in his grace was providing an answer that anybody could do and find the healing that they needed. And Jesus uses that example and he says, in the same way when I am lifted up, speaking of his death on the cross that was to come, then everyone, anyone, can find the healing of their soul. He's saying it is that simple. Simply trusting in God's provision. What I'm doing is I'm putting my weight down on what he has done for me. And and I'm saying, that's where I'm going to settle. That's where I'm going to rest. Not in my efforts, but what God has done for me. What does that look like? What does faith look like? Well, Jesus described it this way. He said, it's like the wind. The wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear its sound, but you can't tell where it comes from or where it's going. So it is with everyone born of the Spirit. Faith is not something you can quantify. It's something you can hold on to and say, hey, I've got faith. He says, no, no. It, it's, it, you can't see it, but you can see the results of it. That when you put your trust down on him and what he has done what you will find is things will start to change. And you won't be able to see it or notice it right away, but things will start to change because now God in his grace is changing you from the inside out. And all you really have to do is believe. God loves, God gives. We believe, we live. We live. Whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. Now, one last point to make on this. The whole point of being born is to have a life. Okay? Birth ushers in a life. And so often, I think, in Christian circles, we have put so much emphasis on the birth part and forgotten about the life. And we, we, if people will just pray this prayer or say these words or you'll do this one thing, then they're in. And as long as you're in, then It's all good. You're covered. You're going to heaven and and you don't have to worry about hell and and it's all taken care of. But that's not the point. Jesus never defined eternal life as eternity. In, in, In other words, not a duration of time. He never defined it in terms of the afterlife. He always defined it. In fact, when he actually defined it, he said it is this, that they would know you, the one true God, your son, Jesus Christ, whom you sent. In other words, it's a relationship. And instead of focusing on escaping hell and and the afterlife, maybe we need to focus on bringing eternity into this life. Because that's what we are called to do. And that's the life that Jesus came to bring us. For God didn't send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. The message paraphrase puts it this way. God didn't go to all the trouble of sending his son merely to point an accusing finger, telling the world how bad it was. He came to help and to put the world right again. And that's our call as followers of him, to be part of putting the world right again. And that is the best way to live. Following Jesus is truly the best way to live. And every day, I think the challenge for me and for you as we get up 
and, and go into our, our workplace or, or our school or into our neighborhood or whatever it might be is the question for the day, each day should be, am I bringing life? Am I bringing life to the people around me? Am I bringing life into the situations around me? Because if he's giving me this life, then it's my job to bring that life to others. And that's what Jesus said. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. And what Jesus, in essence, is saying to Nicodemus, that life that you're looking for, that love that you long for from God, it's real and it's there and it's available not just to you, but to anyone. But it doesn't happen by your efforts. It happens by trusting in God's grace. Philip Yancey, another one of my favorite authors, in his book, Vanishing Grace, Whatever Happened to the Good News, writes these words. Jesus had the uncanny ability to look at everyone with grace-filled eyes, seeing not only the beauty of who they were, but also the sacred potential of what they could become. We, his followers, have the same challenge. We need to reclaim the good newsness of the gospel. And the best place to start is to rediscover the good news ourselves. Frederick Buchner writes, Turn around and believe that the good news that we are loved is, gro- is gooder than any we ever dared hope. And that to believe that that good news, to live out of it, toward it, to be in love with that good news is, the glad, is of all glad things in the world, the gladdest thing of all. It makes me genuinely, it strikes me as genuinely good news that we are creations of a loving God who wants us to thrive, not random byproducts of a meaningless universe. That God entered our world and demonstrated in person that nothing, not even death, can separate us from God's love. That's the story of Jesus. And it has maintained this theme. For God so loved the world that he gave. Bow your heads with me. And for those of you at our Vallejo campus, your campus host is going to be there to acknowledge whatever decisions are being made over there because this is a time for decision. We really do believe that every time God's word is explained, God's word is taught, God's word is read, that there's a response from us. And so for you today, where does this hit you? Maybe you came in here today feeling like you don't deserve God's love. How could he possibly love me? just don't deserve it you're right you don't but he loves you anyway maybe you're here today and you you're struggling with an area of your life and it's like one of those volcanoes at the miniature golf you just keep missing overshooting it or coming up short and you say to yourself god how can you keep forgiving me because i just keep messing up his grace never gives up on you Maybe you started with God's grace, but the truth is you've been living your life trying to fix yourself, and it's not working. And maybe today it's just rediscovering His grace and letting it wash over you. Or maybe you're here today and you never took a first step of faith. Maybe it's the first time you've heard this message. You heard those words before. You maybe saw the reference before, but you never thought it meant anything to you. It does. His grace is for anyone and everyone. And wherever you are at and whatever's going on in your life, 
He has more than enough grace for you. And if you find yourself in one of those kind of situations right now, maybe it's a first step of faith, maybe it's, maybe it's just this one area that I continue to struggle with, or maybe it's just that feeling that I don't deserve this love, but today you're willing to say, God, I'm going to rest in it. And I'm giving you this part of my life that's out of my control. And I'm turning my life into your hands. I'm going to trust you. If you are here and that's a decision for you and I could pray for you in your clothes, I'm going to ask you to just raise your hand up and hold it for a moment so I can see and acknowledge you. Yeah, yeah, yes, yeah, 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 yes, yeah, 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 yeah. We always feel like we have to do something. He says, all we have to do is just trust and let him do the work. So I'm going to invite you, whether it's a first-time decision or just a renewal of a decision or one particular area of your life, it's, it's really the same. God, here we are, and you know us better than we know ourselves. You know our struggles and our failures. You know our sin. Thank you that your grace never gives up. Thank you for what you did on the cross, that you paid the price for that so that we could enter into this life with you. And I pray for everyone who raised their hand, wherever they are at today in their faith journey, that they would discover a fresh move of your grace in their life and know that no matter how they might see themselves, you see them as dearly loved children because of your grace toward us. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to this week's message. We trust that you'll join us again soon for another uplifting message from Northgate Christian Fellowship located in Venetia, California.